0: hello sweet friends welcome back to another episode of the love your bod pod i'm your host i'm kara corinne Safelli. i'm a health coach breathwork facilitator i love food and make recipes and this podcast is all about helping you heal your relationship with food your body and yourself today we have an awesome awesome interview slash conversation with rachel hills i met her in my breathwork facilitator training and she has the most magnetic warm sparkly energy i know you guys are going to feel it as you listen to her She is a wife, a mother of three teenagers, and a hairstylist of 21 years, and also a trauma-informed breathwork facilitator. She also hosts a coaching program called The Best Mama Method. Her absolute favorite thing in the world is to lead women to their own healing through breath, teaching, and simple practices so they can live their most authentic, amazing lives. And she also really loves exclamation marks. As you can tell, this podcast is really long, and that's because Rachel and I just got into it. Her story is so compelling. Her energy, again, like I said, is magnetic. You just want to keep listening to her, and she has a very relatable story in a lot of ways. We talk about growing up in a religious upbringing and how she was taught to associate her worth with her virginity and purity culture. And eventually that transitioned into diet culture and her body and her appearance. We discussed the, the like stark um, overlaps between religion and purity culture and diet culture. They are just like so similar in so many ways. We talk about motherhood, her body image. She's gone through some health struggles and challenges that have impacted you know, her weight big weight fluctuations how she's managed that we talk about how but underneath every feeling of shame there is a belief and you can transform that belief to liberate yourself from the shame we talk about believing when your trauma responses are your personality and how they actually aren't and just so much more so it's already long I'm gonna shut up let's get right into it thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'm so grateful to have you here and let's get into this episode with Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hi.
1: So nice to see you. So good to see you. It's so fun to actually get to like have a conversation with you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I want to start out this conversation, um, really learning about the earliest context of your life. I have really, come to believe through my work as a coach, but then also from my own journey that like these early contexts are really formative and they play a role in shaping who we are and what our motion motivations in life become. So to start, what is that early context that I would need to understand so that I could understand you and like who you are sitting across from me right now?
1: Okay. Yeah. That's, um, Okay. Let's get into it. (laughs) I will. I'm going to start this by just saying that I did not understand what you just said. Like until like, understand that the context of our lives plays such a role in our lives until I was probably 34 and legitimately just like the tip of the iceberg of understanding that like everything in my life that has played out was all based on this like foundational element of things. So I love that we're starting there because I think it has everything to do with where I'm at now, how I got here, all of the journey in between. And I really think that especially with, um, worthiness and body image and all of that stuff, like that has all played a role with, with how I grew up. So, I'm one of six kids. I am the fourth and first girl. So I am the fourth child of six and I grew up in a super religious home. So parents or people would always ask us if we were like, are you Mormon? Are you Catholic? Nope. We're just straight up Bible believing. My dad was a pastor. Um, So I grew up in a very fundamental Christian home and To be perfectly honest, if you had asked me about my childhood, I would always tell you I had a great childhood, because I did. I had a beautiful childhood. I had parents who loved me. I had a really big, boisterous family. Um, I had like, I basically spent most of my days outside hanging out with my younger brother and like just literally exploring. And it was, it was amazing. And it's just as you realize like, oh, wow, there is some key elements of my belief systems and structures that were formed by, by how I learned the things in this world based on my parents being very religious. So um, we were like, you know, we would go to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, and it was very much that. Um, foundation of you need to be good. (laughs) You need to uh, obey. So I grew up just blindly obeying anybody in authority. Um, I started to have an understanding that my worth, and I'll go back just a little bit, but my I believe it's all the story we tell ourselves too, right? Like the story that I told myself growing up could be different than even one of my siblings growing up in the same house, right? Having the same experience. So the story I told myself when I was growing up and growing up in the church um, was that my worthiness was built upon, first of all, my virginity. And second of all, that that was the worth I had to give to somebody else. So that is hard. <laughs> That's a hard way to start out, um, believing that your worth is in something you actually give to somebody else. And then also because of the structures, um, I was never taught to listen to my intuition ever. It was always, always... Um, that I could be sinful. So I am, so how I was raised was that I am inherently sinful, that I am a sinful being and that I have to repent and ask forgiveness, but like everything I do is based on my flesh, right? Like the things I do are sinful. And so how can you listen to an intuition? If you are inherently sinful, you're not supposed to listen to that. Like you're You're, you could be guided somewhere really terrible if you were to listen to yourself. So there was no amount of what does your gut say? What do you, how do you feel about that? There's none of that. It's like, what does the Bible say? What do your parents say? What does anybody else in authority say? And it's all outsourced, right? Like everything is outsourced. And so when me coming into making a decision, I would not make decisions based on me. I'd base decisions based on what my parents thought or what they thought I should do. And thankfully they're wonderful people who do want the best for me, but they're not me. They can't tell me what's best for me. So it, it created an atmosphere of like, not trusting myself and really, I mean, I pushed hard into the like, like, Purity culture. Like I was, like I was a virgin when I got married to my previous husband. Um, It was a week after I turned twenty that I got married, and I mean, I literally was like, it it was kind of a, it was a moment. (laughs) Like uh, I, I actually, the thoughts that kept coming into my head, like the day of my wedding, that day, was, how can a piece of paper change? everything like this this piece of paper like all of a sudden this piece of paper says that i can do these things when i've like held and gripped so tightly to this thing that was all that my worth was right and then all of a sudden in one piece of paper in one ceremony like i that was just gone and it was for anyone listening who has like experienced this and understands what i'm saying like the jolting, like, to the system that that does is really harsh. Like, I don't, how, like, I don't know about your experience in this way, but like, did you have, were you brought up in a way like that? Like where you had that, where it was like a shock to the system of this, like, like, I don't know, like this, this thing that was like a big thing, like this worthiness in, in your body Did you have that?
0: So similarly, but different, right? So it sounds like for you, you equated your virginity and essentially giving that aspect of your body to somebody else being the defining element of your worth as a person.
1: Yes. 1000%.
0: And, and then you were dealing with something when you were going through the marriage and it sounds like, yeah, like, okay, well, if I give up my virginity to this person, then what's left about me, am I yes, still worthy? Like if once this yes. is gone, Oh fuck.
1: Yeah. Yes. Where does that worth lie?
0: Right. right. So I didn't have it into the virginity sense. I had it in my weight mm-hmm. and like, I have to be thin.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that was that quick jump for me. Mm -hmm. So once that virginity was gone, that's where it went. It was like, what's the closest thing that is in my body. And so then that worth became what I could do and to be the best, best version, quote unquote, of myself for somebody else. But it was always for somebody else. It wasn't for me. It was always to like, because this needs to be like given, you know what I mean? Like I, to be a good wife, I need to be in this like in a body that is like that I'm doing literally the mostest like a hundred and ten percent all in always like to do the best and if I'm not that means that I'm not a good wife and I'm not honoring our marriage and I'm not doing these things like it it was that was really jarring. <laughs> it was a jarring situation. But it's a lot of pressure too so much pressure. So where where do you feel like that came up with you like with your with your weight, that worthiness being in like your size,
0: well, it just felt like if I'm not thin and if I'm not being desired by men, then I don't have that much left to offer. Mm-hmm. you know, like, and it wasn't that um overt. like it wasn't that conscious. Like mm-hmm. I have much I have the ability to articulate it better now. But back then it was more of a, a subconscious like feeling that I had of like, this is the most important thing, Mm. you know, like I have to be thin and be desired by men. And that is the most important thing. And if I just am found pretty and thin enough and attractive enough, then like everything will be okay. Like my life will be okay and I'll be happy Mm. and fun. And um, so I'm curious for you to kind of like elaborate Elaborate a little bit more on like, where did, where did it go? So it switched from virginity, uh, marriage, and then it sounds like it transitioned into food and body image stuff. 1000%.
1: Yeah. Take us on that journey. Yes. Okay. So once that happened, I had at 16 before, I got married, but, but when I was 16, I got diagnosed with, um, Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid, um, disorder. So basically I had to be on medication and my body shifted and I had always, I don't like to say always, uh, the image I had of myself. And when I was in high school was like, I was the big girl. I was the big friend. Right. Like all of my other friends could shop at Wet Seal. And I was having to buy from the boys' section of the Levi's because they didn't have my size in store. Okay. So I already had this like I went from like a very active little kid and then all of a sudden became a teenager. And it was just like I I just was in a much larger body. I found myself in a much larger body very quickly, but I never thought anything of it. You know what I mean? Like there was like, there's so much consciousness around, like I I view that part of my life. And like the part where I was so hyper-focused on everything is so very different because I didn't really even notice, but that also should have been a signal of like, um, like I was very disassociated when I was in my, like in my teens, I was like, and disassociation, like for me, was like, I kind of observed my life from above. That was kind of how I would view it is like, I watched myself interact with people. I, I would like watch myself as I like had a conversation with someone, but I wasn't like present. I was like an observer of myself. And I didn't, again, these are things I didn't really realize were happening until like, I was 34 years old and like my world was crumbling. (laughs) Like You know, it always takes like the catalyst to be like, oh shit, like, um, yeah, that was like since childhood, that was super cool. Um, but during that time I, at 16, I was like, okay, now I'm on thyroid medication and my body's shifting and doing these things. And I, and then I felt that was it. It was kind of like that little, that like first (laughs) hit of like someone complimenting you on the way your body looks or has changed. Right. So all of a sudden my thyroid, that was like that of a 40 year old, like all of a sudden I was like, my metabolism was working again and I was doing these things. And I started getting compliments on like, wow, you look so great. And like, oh, wow, you've lost a lot of weight. And it became so like Oh, like, Ooh, this feels good. Right. It's almost like that same thing as when I was young. Like when my parents would tell me like, Oh, you did such a good job on this, or you're such a good girl, or you're so kind, or you're so nice. Like it's these little hits of like, Oh, I'm doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Now, meanwhile, it was like, you know, I was eating, uh, (laughs) like cinnamon rolls for breakfast and then completely skipping dinner. You know, it was just like, It was not a very balanced lifestyle or eating. It was just very much like a college life, like grab something, eat a banana in the car when you're going to class. And then like, I was here, there everywhere working and doing all this stuff. So that started happening. And then I was like, I got married and all of a sudden it was hard. (laughs) I think about after the first year is when it really started to affect me. And I started getting more focused on like, okay, I need to be going on diets. Okay. So then that started the diet cycle of unending hell of, of diets. Like I once read a book about like, I think it was, I, I want to say it was the fuck it diet. And she was talking about how many diets she'd been on, she listed them. And I was like, Oh, check that one off, check that one off, check that one off, check that one off. Like, I was like, Oh yeah, I've tried all of those, all of those weird, weird. I've done all of those things. Um, but it came, it came to be that like, I started focusing on the body stuff. Like it started becoming really, really apparent as like weight started fluctuating again, as I was getting into a very like tumultuous time in my relationship. And so it was like, okay, we're going to go on this diet. Right. So then we start that. And then of course, like, then you get more compliments and then you, it's like, it was like this unending feeding of this thing. And then I would get to a point where I was like, it's not working anymore. I need to try something new. So then I would try another one. And I literally like, it was like back to back to back, for, I mean, I don't even know how many years I got, I got pregnant with my son at probably, um, I am currently in, in a larger body, like for myself, like in my journey. Um, and I don't say that in like a, a negative connotation, just like a reference point for like where I was at in my journey. Um, I just want to make that clear. Like, that's not like a, oh, and then this was bad. And then this was good. It was not, it was just, I happened to get pregnant with my son kind of accidentally when I was already in a larger body. And so then I have him and all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I am working through not only like the mental of having a child, which was extremely difficult for me. It was very, um, I didn't anticipate how difficult it would be for me. Um I had some postpartum anxiety that was really debilitating. Like I kept seeing my son like die in different ways like over and over again multiple times a day. So I like did not feel like he was safe unless he was in my arms. And so it was like I I couldn't really function very well for a lot of months after after having him. Mm-hmm. But when I started feeding him when I started actually having to nourish him with, with food, I had this thought like, Oh my God, I don't want my son to struggle with this thing. Like, I feel like I have felt like on the struggle bus about not only just my weight fluctuating, but, but like the mental toll it was taking, in that, and it and it wasn't even as bad as it had it. It ends up getting in this story, but like it was just like I just don't want to have to. I don't want him to deal with this. And I think that that's something that like, as a mom, you like you realize like I do not want to pass down my crap like in any form, like in in my mental, emotional. Like I do not want to pass this stuff down to have them have to deal with it. Like I need to be able to work through this. And, and so I really started getting, getting more active. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to make activity a priority. And, and I thought that that was very good, right? Like I was like, oh, I'm doing this very healthy thing for myself when it was getting, it's like that And all of these other things started getting more and more disordered, right? Like there was more brain power focused on what I was eating or how I was eating or in what increments I was eating and how much activity I was getting and monitoring now, like going from monitoring all my food stuff to monitoring food stuff and activity, right? Like, okay, how many steps am I getting? How many miles am I running? How long did I go? What, what heart rate was I at? Like, just very, it was, it was starting to get to that place of like fixation, but let me tell you that was a really hard time emotionally for me. And with my marriage still, like my, my marriage was hard. My previous marriage was like, it was a very difficult relationship and I own my 50% of that. For sure, and looking back, realizing how much I really did play into that. However, the focus on food and exercise felt really tangible and gave me a direction to put energy that I was like, it felt good to feel control over something because I felt very out of control. And so it wasn't the absolute worst thing for me at that point. And sometimes I think like there are parts of my story, my food story that like, and body story that like, I look back and I like cringe at. And that point was like, oh girl, you were doing everything you could to survive.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I want to put a pin in that and kind of like emphasize yeah. and highlight what you're saying before you continue on with, with your journey. I, I definitely want to hear it all and, and keep going, but you know, our, our eating disorders. And we've talked about this on various times throughout the pod, whether you resonate with eating disorder or disordered eating, or just being fucked up on the diet cycle that you were talking about. Yes. Uh, they are, I find that they are almost always sort of like a life raft. Like they are, we're in some treacherous water that we probably wouldn't be able to get through if we didn't have something there to help us. And, you know, because of the society and the culture that we live in, the thing that is given to us that seems so accessible and tangible, to use your words, is food and weight control. It's food and exercise. And it sounds like at the time, the food and weight obsession was giving you a sense of stability and control during a context and a circumstance in which you felt really out of control so while we can look back and be like wasn't the most healthy holistic healthy thing that I was doing definitely wasn't the most sustainable but I can look back and see why see how that was helpful at the time given the larger context in which it was happening yes
1: absolutely absolutely and that continued on I think like uh so i then got pregnant with my daughter unexpected like i was my i think we just celebrated my son's birthday and i don't know if you know this story i don't know if i shared it when we were in our cuz we were in breathwork facilitating training together but when i was pregnant with my daughter i got pregnant on accident Like we weren't planning it. So I wasn't on like fertility medicine. Um, but I got pregnant with triplets and two of the girls, they were all girls. Um, but two of the girls actually were conjoined. So I had conjoined twins and my daughter and finding this out. Like, I think that like it's like one of those moments where like your whole world stops where you just like everything gets like to a pinpoint and you're just like, oh my God I am I'm I am out of my depth like I'm in survival and during that pregnancy um we came to find out at about 20 weeks that they shared um a very malformed heart so it was like half of a heart that they shared between them and so, we had to make the decision to stop that half of a heart so that my other daughter had the best chance at survival. And it was one of the loneliest, ooh, I can feel emotion coming up. Um, it was one of the most lonely times of my life because though I had support around me, Um, I felt like that decision had to be mine and I couldn't ever have imagined having to make a decision like that. And I think, I think I changed. I mean, how can you not? Right.
0: Yeah.
1: From things like that. But from that point, I have felt very like it I was on my own. I was doing it on my own. And, um, it was kind of like the beginning of the end of my then marriage. Um, it was just like, it was already, it was already working its way. And then it was like this point. Um, and it got to be that, that, like that lifeline of that that life raft of, um, disordered eating just it literally became like the other thing that I focused on completely I was like I'm a mom and I do this thing like I'm a mom and I work out like I'm a mom and I eat really like restricted um because it was the only way I was working I was getting through and um came to a point where my um my marriage ended up coming to a, like a really hard crux point, And I had to call the time of death is like what I like to call it. Um, and it was then that I was like, I, I have to get therapy. Like I, I had never gone to therapy. There was a stigma in my family about therapy. Like I love, like I said, I love my parents, but like my, my dad still like, doesn't think therapy is good. Like you should be going to the church. You should be getting counseling from your pastor. That's fine. But like, dear God, a therapist, like, no, that's like a whole different ballgame. So um, it just it's just funny. But um, it was then that I started understanding that like I had childhood trauma that I was like living out of the things that I was doing in my own marriage that were detrimental to it. Were because I was living out of a trauma response. And I don't think that it's talked about enough that when you experience trauma as a child, that it kind of becomes your personality and you don't actually understand that that's not your personality until you're like, I swear to God, it's like in your late 20s, 30s, you start to realize like, was like the thing that people thought was me was actually my trauma response. And I think that that is like I had never heard of the Fawn response until we went through our our uh, trauma informed facilitating training. Right? Um, I never even heard that response, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like that—that that is my personality. Like that. Like that's what I thought I was. Like as a child, that is how I operated, and so everyone just thought like. Rachel's the one that like she's the one that's stable and she's the one that does all the right things and she's the one that like gets all A's and she works really hard and she's that like she'll go above and beyond for everybody else and she'll always make sure everybody has everything that they need before they leave the house and she'll make sure the younger ones get dressed and she'll make food and she'll do all of these things and and realizing like holy shit like that I've been operating out of a system that was basically survival (laughs) until I hit a crux point and was like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't live this way anymore. And I'll add in one other thing is like, yes, there was all of these hard things happening. And yes, there were some good things happening as well. It's not all like bad or good. It's all very mushed together but I was constantly in a state of irritation like I was constantly low-level irritated at everything and everyone and I think that that was like I I also didn't realize that that was such a huge part of like I was living in discord with like who I actually was and not listening to myself for so long that was like causing this like it's almost like when you hear someone play music and it's off and you're just like, "Oh, uh, oh!" Uh, uh, like, like makes your ear kind of like twitch. Like, you're just like, oh God, like it feels that way. It's like, the more I started understanding how much, how much of my experiences and my, my mechanisms and my beliefs were all based on these other things that it created, like a, it needed a dissonance. To be able to see that something was off, and then and then it kind of came to this point. So that's that was like the beginning. <laughs> like, that was really long, but, but you know, it's it's
0: perfect. I'm glad you went into that, and I want to kind of track back. There's a couple a couple of things that I want yeah. to track. What do I want to track to first? Um, the most recent thing that you had said. So you had talked about how. Um, You were living out of this trauma response. And Mm -hmm. until we become aware of the fact that like, okay, whatever I'm doing is not working and I'm not feeling really good. And I'm going to address my trauma. We don't fully have the consciousness or the awareness that we are living out of that trauma response and mistaking it for our personality or having others mistake it as our personality. Yes. And then you had talked about the Fawn response. So I want to go into both of those deeper for, um, for anyone listening. So can you give us a couple of examples? And you, you kind of alluded to it with like, Rachel just helps and takes care of the little ones, et cetera. But like, can you ex- expand upon what it means when you're, you think your personality is your trauma response? Like, can you just explain that a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So I used to have this saying that like, I I can walk around in other people's shoes so long that I forget I have shoes, right? So when I was a little kid, it, it took the form of like being the good girl, being the people pleaser, right? Like I constantly was aware of everyone's moods, everybody's mood, everybody's what they're doing. And I would act accordingly. So it was, uh, if my mom was irritated, right. What can I do to help that? How can I help resolve that? situation? How do I diffuse it? Right. So I would come into the kitchen and I'd be like, how can I help? How can I, can I help you make dinner? Because I knew that that would elicit like a calming or a softening because she was overwhelmed. And so I knew that I could perceive it because I was hyper aware of everyone's mood, not realizing that like I was looking for safety, right? Like I was constantly looking, am I safe? And the way the fawn response works is instead of, you know, fighting or, or freezing, right. Like, like just immobilizing or, um, having conflict or, um, running away, running away. Right. Like I would charm is the best way I could describe it. Like I would know how to create an atmosphere that would put me in a position that made me feel safer and so I would automatically pick up all of the nuances of everyone's feelings emotions which I mean obviously it's like my own perception of what that is too right like that's not accurate I don't know if actually someone's feeling that way it's just my perception of what they're seeing or they're feeling but then I would like okay, how can I make them feel better? How can I make them not mad? How Mm -hmm. can I, um, how can I do something for them that makes them feel good? So not understanding at all whatsoever that I was like, that is the way I thought I could be safe. You know, was creating these things.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So on the outside then to the people in your life, it occurred to you, it occurred, it you were perceived as being caring yes. and thoughtful yes. and considerate and, and helpful. Yes. Um, and so it was like, that was your personality, but what, but if we were to, you know, lift up the hood and look a little bit deeper, really what this was, was you were trying to prevent some dangerous situation from happening. I say dangerous. Yes. Like, Oh, 1000%. Yes chaotic from happening and so you sort of adapted into being this person who was taking care of everybody yes so that you could feel safe yes and you didn't understand that this was a trauma response people just thought it was your personality and you were then through our breath our trauma-informed breathwork facilitator training you learned about fawn and that is a fawn response yes so like for context there's the flight fight freeze
1: and Fawn. Yes. Yeah. It's so interesting because even in my twenties, people would say to me, Oh, you're so nice. And I remember saying to them, I actually am not nice. Like, and it was, it was like, I don't even know where that came from within me, where I was like, No, actually I'm not. Because Obviously, I was still doing all of these things to make people think I was nice. And at the root of it, which sounds like, oh, I just want to cringe, like saying it out loud, but it's it's manipulation. <laughs> like it's manipulating for a purpose, right? And it's not of bad intent, right. But it is a form of manipulation, which I had to start realizing, like, oh, I can fall into that very easy to try to get my way or, I have a really hard time asking for what I need, right? This is like a lifelong of like trying to like speak my needs and feel okay about having needs and not like full shame and just having a need, which PS, we're all needy. We all need things. Mm -hmm. But even asking for that, I started realizing that I could figure out how to have somebody ask me if I needed something, if I started getting emotional Mm. Or if I, if I like would do a, like a, a bid, right. Then I would get enough attention that someone would be like, Hey, are you okay? And then I didn't have to ask. I just could speak it. And I was like, Oh, oh. Like, there's an, uh, there is like some strong manipulation techniques in there. Like they're, they're deep man, because it was like a form of it, but it was in, it was keeping me safe at, at least. In my, in my mind, that was the thing that was putting things together so that I felt safe within my home. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it wasn't malicious manipulation, no. right? Like when We heard that generally speaking, when we hear the term manipulation, we think of it as being intentionally malicious and yes. coercive. And while fundamentally you shape-shifting your personality and doing the bid that you are referencing, like is a form of manipulation, but it wasn't coming from malicious intent. No. But, like, you're intentionally acting in a way to elicit a specific outcome, which is manipulation.
1: Yes, <laughs> you know? yes, and it, it just, whew, man. it just stings a little bit still. because, because I, I it's a thing that I've more recently understood how how mm-hmm. quickly I can go to that if I'm not like fully like speaking like, and being my authentic self. Like if I'm really, or if I'm really, mm, there are certain th- areas of my life where I can feel like are harder to speak about. And and I don't love to ask for the need in that way. And I can see it. I see it come out sometimes and I have to catch myself and be like, oh, are you crying because you're sad? <laughs> are you actually crying because you want someone to ask you if you're okay? You know what I mean? It was, it's, it's very interesting when you start being aware, of it, you know, looking so. at
0: it. Yeah. I mean, it's a conversation to bring nuance to because, you know, the adaptation that you developed, right? The fawn response of right. taking care of everybody, like it was a protective mechanism. So right. like, while yes, the bare bones of it were manipulation, but like really you were doing what you knew how to do to keep yes. yourself safe and to keep a peaceful environment. Yes. In all these different situations, specifically like when you were growing up and so I can understand your persp- your like ick vibes now, maybe as like yes. an adult, but like yes. when I'm hearing you describe it, like I'm just like you were trying to keep yourself safe, and
1: that's all you knew how to how to how to do. And oh, for sure, you know, for sure, I have much more grace for the little version of me when it comes to me now, I'm like, oh girl, you know better. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, like, Hey, you aware, like once you weren't aware back then, there was no awareness that that was a thing that was just like how I operated. But once you're aware, then you can like hold yourself accountable a little bit more. Like, "Mm, is that really what you, are you really trying to do it that way? Like, Wow, you must have a re- you must be having a really hard day. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, right. all right, can we do this a little different? Like, I talk to myself all the time. It's it's a whole it's a whole thing. So, okay, question for you. Okay, Fawn response. Like, did you had you known about Fawn response?
0: Um, I had learned about Fawn response. I don't know when or where or why, but I was definitely familiar with the term. Okay. Um, I kind of started my personal development a little earlier than you okay. Hence like I see you not kind of I understand like not really learning it until we were in breathwork which I think was last was that last year 2021 yeah 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 2020 I guess two years ago now because it's 2023 now yes but, yes <laughs> um so yeah um I was familiar with it you know I I um yeah, I'd been doing personal development work and stuff for like a while. It's not the most well-known one, right? Like so he's yeah. flight fight, or freeze are the most familiar ones.
1: Yeah. I just um, have never heard of it before. Like, and I had been in therapy and doing different things, but like it was just not an awareness I had yet. But maybe it wasn't, I wasn't ready for it yet. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Like,
0: yeah. It clearly the language hadn't come. Yeah. Either, right? Like you have yeah. not kind of been exposed to the language of Fawn and what that means. Yeah. And I guess
1: it was divine timing. Maybe. I think so. I mean, I learned a lot in that training. There was a lot going on, but yeah. But did you, do you feel like, like with your story, like, do you resonate with using that, like, or being in that or how, how did that look for you? Like growing up or, you know, awareness around that.
0: It's funny that you asked that question because I never really identified with it, but You know, Listening to you talk about how you identified with it um, and how it showed up for you, I can see areas and times where I have done that, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to diffuse the situation, Mm. but I've never related to it as being a fawn response as much as I've related to it as being like, I want to diffuse the situation. And so I'm going to do my best to try to diffuse the situation. Hmm, And so I don't necessarily relate to it as a trauma response for me, Hmm. but that doesn't mean that I haven't engaged in some type of fawn-esque behavior.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I just think maybe it's been more conscious, whereas for you, it seemed like it was an unconscious thing. And so that might be a really important distinction to make Yeah, because like trauma, like you having your personality become a trauma response often is unconscious behavior. Yes. So I think that's the distinction. So it's not that like I haven't engaged in fawn-esque behavior. It's just that it's been more of a conscious act. So I
1: don't relate to it in the sense of trauma. Right. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Cause I mean, I would say that I have fought, froze, right, right? Like there's other responses that I have had in different elements of things where I was more like, oh, like I'm shut down right now. Like I, the, for the example for that one for me is when i get into disagreements when there's disagreements around me or um like uh so we're a blended family so my now husband and i have three kids combined together um but like teenagers like they question you <laughs> a lot and i actually love it but like my system gets a little activated Um, by like disagreements or, um, like in my brain, I'm like, oh, they're fighting or like, they're like, um, my middle daughter, this is a perfect example. The other day she was like, I don't understand why we need to put our phones out on the counter when they shut off. We have like their phones shut off at nine. I don't understand why I have to put it on the kitchen counter if it already shuts off. Like, why can't I have it in my room charging? And like, my husband and her were just going back and forth and it was like getting more intense. And I like could feel my entire system come up. Like my whole body was like shaking. And then I literally just started falling asleep. Like my body just goes into shutdown, like full shutdown, like 100%, like just absolutely like it gets activated. And then it's like, okay, we're going to go bed now. This is too much. Like it's too much. And it's so interesting to like, I hadn't noticed that too before. Like, oh, wow. That really happens to me when it feels like there's a lot of energy, you know, like when there's intense energy that happens, my body can very quickly be like, no, it's bedtime. That's like, doesn't matter what time it is. Just Rachel's going to bed now. Like she's taking a little napper. Like that's just what's happening. Mm. So it's just, it's very different than like, I can see that that happens to me in certain aspects of things. But now that I know, like, and I'm aware it's so different. Once you're aware, like, I mean, awareness changes, everything, everything changes because then you can be like, Oh, and I will say, I think something that I have really actively been working on is having compassion for myself in all of the ways, right? Like, of course you want to go to sleep right now. Cause this feels like upsetting, you know, like, of course you want to like diffuse this situation and not ask for your needs. Cause it feels kind of uncomfortable. And like, I totally get it. Like, oh, of course you want to scroll on your phone for an hour. Like you really have a hard question to ask someone and it's it's going to be a harder conversation of course you don't want to be it like thinking about that right now you know what i mean and just having compassion for my coping mechanisms you know what i mean like ultimate compassion for myself you know so. yeah and what you're saying right now reminds me of a
0: of a real i think it was you that made it where you talked about the difference between numbing and comforting yes yeah. Yes. So I guess like that's a perfect little segue. Okay, I, I do want to, I, I, at some point I'm going to track back to a couple of other things you shared in your story, but like, yeah. I trust that we'll get there for sure. Or if it's meant to be right. talked about, we'll get back to it. <laughs> yeah. But like segueing into that, um, what is the difference between numbing and comforting?
1: Oh, such when I started realizing like the difference between these two, like I started I think what I'll probably start out with saying is like, I think that, especially when you have had a harder relationship with your body and with food, that we tend to be people that tend to be in that, that they would like raise their hand on that one, um, tend to be very critical of themselves and not just in body and food, but in other areas. Right. Right. And so I was having a conversation with a client of mine and she was talking about like, I just, you know, I've been going through a really hard time and, you know, like I took my daughter out to ice cream and, you know, we had our ice cream and I just got back and was just like, Oh, I'm so frustrated that I ate this ice cream. And I was like, hold on a second. Like. You went out specifically with your daughter to go have ice cream because both of you are having a hard time and you spent quality time together, sharing this moment, sharing this experience together. What, what about that feels like you weren't consciously choosing this thing. Right. And I, and I was like, it's okay to comfort yourself. Like sometimes we need comfort, right? Like maybe that's a hug. Maybe that's like taking ourselves to a coffee shop and and sitting there and reading a book. Like sometimes we need comfort in like comforting isn't just about food, but food can also be comfort. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Totally. and and so, I think the difference is, like, okay, you have a really hard day and you come home and you grab a pint of ice cream and you sit in front of the TV and you're eating the whole thing, ice cream, and you're watching TV as you're scrolling through your phone and you look down and you're like, holy crap, I just ate that whole thing of ice cream, right? That to me is numbing because you are not aware of, you're not present with any of the things you're doing. You're not aware of what you're watching on TV. You're not aware of what's on your phone. You're not aware of what you're eating, right? Like you're unaware of all the things and that is to not feel present, right? So the difference I think between numbing and comforting is comforting is being present and giving yourself the gift of whatever feels nourishing to you at that moment. So coming home and saying, you know, what feels really good I have that special ice cream in the freezer and like fish food is my favorite. And I can't believe we still have it. And like, I'm going to like just eat some marshmallows and chocolate fish right now. And I'm going to allow myself to watch the great British baking show because I freaking love that show. And it makes me feel good. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to enjoy this yes, being present in it. Yeah the two things are almost the same thing. Do you know what I mean? But it's the intention behind it and the awareness of like, you know what? Like this actually feels like someone giving me a hug. This actually feels like a nourishing thing I can do for myself that like, it feels good. It feels good to me. And so that for me is like, when I started recognizing, because I had such discipline around food and restriction around food that I would like, you can't, Oh, what was this phrase that I, I used to love, I used to love. And I used to say it all the time. And then now I hate it vehemently (laughs) is like, you're not a dog. You, you don't like earn your treats or something like that. And it was like, or it was like something along the lines of like, you're not a dog you don't get food as a reward or something like that it was like oh shit yeah and it was something that I would like say to myself but like makes me gag now but like thinking of that and then like such a stark contrast between like food can be all the things And it can be none of the things and it can just be, it just gets to be. So like, if that to me feels like, okay, this is really going to satisfy me. That is another thing that I have like, oh my God, life-changing is like, I don't want to just feel full. I want to feel satisfied. And sometimes to me that looks different every single day, but like I will like legit be in the middle of like eating something, like trying to see if it's the thing that's satisfying and be like, yeah, that wasn't it. Okay, no. Like <laughs> I need to find the thing that's satisfying to me because I'm like, what am I doing? And like eating this because I think I should. No, like we don't do that anymore. Like I want to eat because it's the thing that makes me full and satisfied, right? Like sometimes it's like, I need something crunchy or I need something sweet at the end of my meal or I need something, right? Like um, I love an apple and peanut butter, Oh, I love an apple and peanut butter. So good. So good. But it's like the crunch plus the creamy, creamy. plus the sweet plus the like there's like textural things. And so I started realizing that with, with eating too, is like it's not just about like being satiated. It's about being satisfied. And I think that with comforting versus numbing too, it's not just like I'm eating this thing. It's like, no, I'm eating this thing because it feels re- like really good and satisfying. And I have been like mid ice cream bite and been like, this is not it. Like, this is not what I want. Like, I thought it was, but it's not. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And like understanding and knowing that. But yeah, so going back to the numbing versus comforting, I really feel like it's like, Uh, one of my friends taught me this. It was like awareness, choice, empowerment, right? Like mm. ACE. So once you have the awareness- then you're actually making a conscious choice about it and then that empowers you because you're making that choice even if you made the exact same it looks like the exact same choice like your intention and your awareness around it changes the whole thing
0: so 100%. Yeah. It's such a beautiful succinct way of describing the uh, the difference because on the outside they might look the same. You have two people sitting on the couch watching TV and eating. Yeah. Right, they might look the same on the outside, but one person is present and intentional and doing this to help take the edge off. And the yes. other person is just wanting to numb the fuck out and not deal with anything and not be present. And the most accessible thing to do that was ice cream in the freezer. Yes. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But it could just be, it could be alcohol. It alcohol. could be, right. Like it could just be scrolling Shopping. on your phone shop. Oh my God. How many times have I, like how many things are in my Amazon cart right now, like obscene, like it's an obscene amount of Amazon cart items that are like safe for later, save for later, save for later. Like it's a thing, like there's ways to do those things. And it, it's just like the more socially acceptable ones people like look at as like, Oh, I'm just doing this thing, you know, but it's like, but the intention behind it really, it matters. It matters. Yeah. Tell it's me. the same thing
0: like, you know, with like eating a salad, right? One, two people can be eating a salad and one person is eating the salad from shame and fear and oh. I have to be good oh, and this is what I should be eating and it's come from a restrictive place. And then another person is eating salad from a place of desire
1: and yes. um, it, that's what they want and it's yes. like
0: craving
1: craving. Yes. It's the thing that's going to satisfy them. Like that's right. it. Like it's right. so good. Yeah. 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 Totally freaking shame, man. Shame is the worst. I hate, I hate shame. <laughs> shame is like the lowest vibrational energy. Did you know that? It's like, I think I've heard that. Yes. <laughs> the lowest, the absolute lowest. And we create these things that like, we create it. We create the expectation that this thing is the thing. Like if I'm good, I'm doing this. And if I'm bad, I'm doing this thing. And it's like, we, we create these things and then feel shame about the thing. And then, and then it perpetuates the cycle of like, well, I'm already in a shame spiral. So I might as well go do this other thing that I also feel shame about. And I'm just going to keep going down this shame spiral. Oh my gosh. It's so crazy to me, but yeah. Like I hate shame.
0: (laughs) Sorry. Let's talk about shame. I know you're on a tangent there, but I have a question for you about shame. Um, So you have a reel on your Instagram and um, you said there is no shame without a belief underneath it. Yes, I think the example you gave was we're not born feeling ashamed of being naked. But then somewhere, somebody says something about being naked as being shameful, or you should feel ashamed being naked if you look this way. Yes. And then that, so there's this belief created. So then you feel the shame about being naked. So- you can extrapolate on that and explain that concept more and like how you learn that, et cetera. And then I'm also curious of like, well, once we're able to identify the belief that's creating the
1: shame, then how do we go about changing the belief? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So good. So yeah. So there's most of our beliefs were passed down to us. Like if you think about what you believe about whatever, right? Like what do you believe about God, what you believe about the earth, what you believe about how you dress, what your belief about education, right? Any of these things, right? If you go back to where you, where did you learn that? That would be the first question. Like, where did you learn that? Who told you that? Why is that belief there? You started to realize like most of the time it's like your parents, caregivers or teachers or whatever, but some of it is like they taught you it because their parents taught them that, and then their parents taught those your great grandparents, and it just is passed down. And you realize, like, do I even actually believe that? Like, do I believe that we're inherently evil? Like, do I believe that original sin? Be, like, do I believe that to be true? Like, do I believe babies born are just inherently sinful little creatures? Okay. Let's just take that for example. And you can believe whatever you believe. Like there's no, sh- no shame. I'm not sh- trying to shame anyone for believing what they believe, but I'm just taking this as like the thing. Right. So I have to look at that. There's that belief underneath it of like, Oh, I was taught that this belief is true. This belief that we are inherently sinful and we shouldn't trust ourselves because like, we could just be like run and rampant, sinful everywhere. Just Throwing sin everywhere. Yeah. Right. So, um, but like going back to that, like, okay, so you have to question, like, where did this belief come from? Who taught me it? And then do I actually still believe that to be true? Right. And so it's like asking yourself those questions of like, wait, there's a belief underneath here. And I actually don't even believe this. So how does that change things, right? But if that belief is underneath there and someone taught you it, there will be, that's why you feel shame around it. Because uh, we can even go to like, well, I mean, let's, let's get into it. Like self-pleasure, right? Self-pleasure was taught in my whole, like that was a no-go. Like that was absolutely like not a thing, not a thing you could do. It was not even talked about. It was like dirty as a dirty thing. But I know for a fact, I have friends who've grown up in homes where that was completely normal and fine, right? But did I, once I discovered it, cry every single time and beg God to forgive me for doing it every single time? Because I had so much shame around it. When my friend Susie next door, right? Like her parents don't care. They're like, Hey, like it's your body do it, explore, just wash your hands. Right. Like, there you go. Right. Like this is normal. She doesn't ever feel that shame because there was never a belief that it was bad. Right. So there's all these underneath beliefs, fundamental beliefs that we have that we don't ever go back and check if we even believe them anymore or who taught them to us. Mm -hmm. Like we don't question it. We don't, Mm -hmm. we don't go back and like evaluate the things that were taught to us unless we're like really getting into the work. work. Yeah. 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 You're just (laughs) like like, doing the work. Yeah. That's it, man. Like, Ooh, we're going deep, man. But, but yeah. So, so that's where like, there is no shame without a belief underneath it, that it should be shameful or you should be shameful in that. And that's the difference between guilt and shame, which I just want to point out is like guilt says, Something I did was wrong. Whereas shame says, like, I am bad because, and that's why I'm doing this thing. I am inherently bad. And so I do this thing, not I've done a thing that I consider bad, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. or wrong. And so it means that you at your center are the thing you should be ashamed of, right? Like, you are the thing that is wrong or bad instead of i've done a bad thing right
0: which is probably why you were like i hate shame so much and you get into these (laughs) shame spirals because like when you believe you are the bad thing and that's just like who you are how where it's like if you do a bad thing you can change behaviors yes
1: 1000 you're the bad thing right what the fuck do you do about that right there's nothing to do, no. right? Yeah. Oh, that's why it's so bad. Like that's why that's why I hate it so much just because I think that we hold on to a lot of shame that we do not that it, it's not even ours. It's not even ours, right? I had it's it's very interesting. I had my um one of my daughters wanted to chop off her hair. and it, I freaked out because she's like this gorgeous hair. And I was like, like, like totally like upset about it. And I was like, I actually got mad. Like I got mad and I was like, why the hell am I? Okay. This is a me thing. Like, I need to go be by myself for a minute. Like, I don't know why I'm getting upset. Right. And I, I ended up like, I was like, I'm just going to breathe. I got to do breath work. Like, I'm just going to like, we're going to rock this through because something's up. Like I can feel it in my system. Something's happening. And I come out of that breathwork session, just bawling my eyes out and realizing like my mom wanted me to dress a certain way to be presentable, right? Her mom wanted her to get a perm and wear skirts to be presentable. And here I am (laughs) fucking doing the same exact thing to my daughter because it says something about me. If I let her do this, right? Like, some it says something about the way my mom, right? Like, for me, dressing in too short of a skirt, my mom would have people come and tell her, like, your skirt is really short, right? Like, and so it's not just even about you and having your, like, your parents are passing this on to you because their grandparents and their parents pass it on to you of these, like, you need to be this way, you have to present in this way, because it says something about your parenting, right? And so that was a really interesting, like, I don't know how exactly that correlates with like, what we were just talking about. But it's like that shame of like, oh my gosh, like, it's not just about you too. It's like how you think people are going to perceive you based on the things you put out into the world. And some of that happens to be your children. so Mm -hmm. so it's like oh my gosh I have to I was like I need to cut the tie between the fact that whatever she's doing is her own and whatever I'm doing is my own and like I'm releasing her from that guilt or shame that I have about it you know what I mean like she gets to be herself in it so anyway that was like a non sequitur but I mean,
0: it's an example where you were illustrating how the shame isn't always yours. So, right. Like having, you know, hypothetically, let's just say having short hair is shameful for a woman because it's perceived as masculine. Right. Right. And so, and like, let's just say that was the example that your mom gave you. So when your daughter wanted to cut her hair short you were experiencing the shame that your mom passed down to you, and then you were potentially going to pass it down to her. And then she might've potentially had this shame and it, and it she isn't even the originator of having no. the shame that short hair is somehow shameful for a woman. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So it just, is it's insidious, you know, like until you check those beliefs. And so for me, it's almost like I use shame as like a canary in the coal mine as like, why am I feeling this this way the shame and it it doesn't happen as often now at all but like why am I feeling that and then I start checking like what is the belief underneath that that I'm like telling myself like what's the story underneath that
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: that's really where it's coming from and if that story isn't even one that we want or believe then why are we holding ourselves to the shame that is connected to the belief we don't even have anymore like so wild
0: um, yeah and that's a really good tip for like anybody listening um of when you're feeling an unpleasant way when you're feeling shame etc to ask yourself what is the belief in the story underneath this and doing that inner work and self-reflection can be so liberating so that's just like a hot tip
1: for anybody <laughs> just, just hot tip for hot everyone tip. yes <laughs> Yeah, it's just, let shame like never waste a good shame, right? Like just like never, what is it? It's like never waste a good trigger, right? Like it's it's like if this is showing up, like use that, just mm-hmm. use it as a little, yeah, a little segue mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's. I I want to touch on something quickly. Yeah, it's been like running through my mind. So you you know in the re- re- beginning of your story. Um, and then you were kind of just speaking to it now when you were talking about shame, and it's something that I've read other people talk about. So I'm not going to be the most articulate articulate here, but really talking about this overlap between religion. I'm only mo- I'm most familiar with Christianity-based yes. Bible-based religion. So really looking at the overlap between like purity culture and diet culture. Oh. and I was reading about how Sylvester Graham who later created the graham cracker was a was a pastor i believe mm-hmm. um and he believed that eating a very like bland clean pure diet and like restricting certain types of foods made you more pure and more godlike mm. and then you you know <laughs> so like you know diet culture is also rooted in like puritanical religion stuff oh yeah And then you were talking about how like we, you know, self-pleasure was sinful and, and shameful. So like, we're, you're indoctrinated into having shame around your body, like inherently having shame around your body, which I'm trying to, I'm connecting some dots here in my brain about how like diet culture teaches us to have like shame about our body. And. Oh yeah. Yeah. We are not born being ashamed of cellulite or a belly roll. There's a belief that we're taught that's handed down to us that makes us ashamed of those things. Just like in your story, there was this belief that self-pleasure was shameful, but then there was somebody else in another household who never got that narrative. Just like there are, are countries and and civilizations around the world where they don't have the narrative that that having round body parts or jiggly body parts is shameful.
1: Oh, I, we could go so deep on this because there is such a intertwined, I think it is so easy. It's so easy to connect those dots, like really, truly, because I really think when, when our worth is put upon our bodies, that it is an easy like jump to like, oh yeah, like having shame in these ways. Like I, I read a story or heard a story a long time ago and it was about a culture who didn't have TVs yet. Had you, have you heard? I this? think it's, it's Fiji. Yes. So yeah. Fiji didn't have TVs for the longest time and everybody was just living their best lives. Like, you know, normal human beings living lives, weird, mind blowing, right? <laughs> like just living your life, not thinking about and obsessing about things. Um, and then they brought TVs over and all of a sudden, Yeah. The women were trying to conform their bodies to what they were seeing. Right. Mm. And I think that with purity culture, first of all, (laughs) I just, oh, it just, it's one of those things I look back on. And I think like, almost in like that manipulation way where I was like, oh, this is like the fun response, but in a way it's manipulation. I think that there is good intention behind it, mostly. I'm not going to say fully. I think who was teaching me this and the reasons why seemed like a good idea. However, (laughs) it's all so much about keeping, I mean, like legitimately, like keeping women small. Yeah. Yeah physically emotionally mentally right like submissive controllable yes. yes yeah absolutely and so i think it is such an easy jump and i think that that's why that jump happens so easy for me is because when your worth is put in your body like literally what your body is or what it has <laughs> to give to somebody else then like that's such an easy like jump Yeah, the next thing is like, okay, well, that's the closest thing I can find is this thing, right? To hold on to. Well, and
0: you talked about, you know, you're you were taught that you have original sin and you're inherently bad and you can't trust yourself. Yes. And when we look at what what dieting teaches you, is it teaches you you can't have intuition and you can't trust yourself and you have to put your faith in some external authority. Yes. Diet, 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 diet. So there's so many overlaps and similarities between Your religious upbringing and religious upbringings in general and diet culture. Like they are kind of a segue into one another because you're taught that you're fundamentally flawed and you need some authority figure. So with religion, it's God or your pastor or whatever. With diet culture, it's like whatever diet is trending at that, that time, and you're not told to trust your intuition and you're not told to listen to your body, right? So, if you have these urges to self pleasure, you're taught that it's bad and you should ignore it. Right. If you have cravings for sugar or for rest, it's bad and you should ignore it. There's just
1: a lot of overlaps here. It's basically the religion of diets. Like, that is like, it, it's 100%. And okay, so we're wired for the familiar, right? Like, we are wired to go towards the familiar. So, whatever feels familiar, which diets do, right? Like that diet culture feels so like control familiar. Yourself. Yes, because it's all about control and restriction and, oh man, just like white knuckling everything. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, just like, okay, like if you're not doing it well and you're not, do- like, then you just need to put more effort into it. Like just do more then. If you're not getting the results you want, just do more. Be more restrictive, which is just like, oh, it's, yeah, it's just insidious. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into that. But yes, you're 1000% hit the nail on the head. It's like so easy to just pop right into that because it, it feels like comfortable in its agony. Do you know what I mean? Like it feels very very much the same. Yeah.
0: I get what you mean with the familiar of like, okay, I'm in, there's something inherently wrong with me and I can't trust myself and I need to seek something outside of myself Yes, to control and to fix and to make me better and to free me from this shame that I'm feeling or supposed to feel because of some inherent thing about me that I cannot change, whether it's original sin or the
1: cellulite on my butt. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. 1000% same, same, same. Like it just is, I actually, okay. So this is kind of a funny story, but the first time I went to the first therapist I ever went to, she asked me the question, well, what do you want? And I literally looked at her and I was like, I don't know. I've never asked myself that question. Right. Like that's how far like outsourcing everything had been for me. Like I didn't because I still didn't trust myself. I wasn't listening to myself. I was starting to hear things, you know, I was starting to recognize like something's off, but I didn't have the idea that like I had never asked myself like what I wanted. I just did the things I thought I should do. And so it's like I just overrid everything that my body was trying to tell me. I overrid when like, the only thing I could eat was like chicken and rice because uh, like I had debilitating like stomach issues where like for months I, I was like, like everything I put into my body hurts. Like I'm just doubled over in pain all the time. Like, hi, anxiety. Like, welcome here. You are like this, like, but I didn't know that that was going on because I was so easily overriding every, every signal, everything. Oh, my hair's falling out. Like, Oh, that must be that because I'm eating too much like fast food, or I'm eating too much like, um, you know, genetically modified food or something, you know, like I would give it like excuses in my head of like, it must be this thing. Like I must just not be doing it good enough or as extreme enough or whatever. And all of these things were like signaling, like freaking red lights blaring in my face. And I was like, no, I'm really good at just bypassing all of that, ignoring all of that. And just trusting that somebody else knows better than me Mm. all the time Mm. for everything mm-hmm so yeah and even to this day I will say to this day I just had a conversation with a doctor on the phone for my daughter and it was a very frustrating conversation and but the long and the short of it was I said to her hey uh, I actually I don't really think that that's gonna be a helpful thing for her and she said, well too bad like it that's what you need to do and hung up the phone and I realized, it took me like an hour to like process, like, and be like, wait, just because she's a doctor doesn't mean I have to listen to her. And it was like, I still have like, sometimes those like quick, like, oh my God, I have to do this because someone told me I, that I had to, or like someone brought up this thing and that, that looks like a good thing to do. So I, I have to do that thing. And it takes me like a good hour to like, be like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Actually, what, what is my gut telling me right now? Like, what am I feeling right now? Why do I feel like I have to trust this person that sees my daughter for 10 minutes every three years? Do you know what I mean? Like, why am I trusting this person in authority, quote unquote, as like, that's the person that has all the answers instead of me and my knowing my gut and knowing my daughter, right? Like it's this, it's so weird and hard to override from years of like outsourcing that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a pretty potent example and it's a skill, right? So like anyone listening who kind of relates to that, you become better at listening to your intuition and sensing it and then thus and honoring it because it's one thing to hear it it's another thing to like trust it and act on it yes you get better over time and it sounds like through all of the work and the deconditioning and things that you've been doing have a, has allowed you to even have the experience where you took an hour to process and say hey maybe yeah, I, don't I don't need a don't need to listen to this person yes and following the the path of outsourcing you've talked about outsourcing your worth on your instagram mm and you alluded to it, right? Like the virginity bit, right? Yes. But just explain what you mean when you say like outsourcing your worth.
1: Okay. So I think when we are taught not to trust ourselves, right. When we don't, whether you were brought up in a religious home or you, whether you were brought up in a home where they just didn't talk about that or didn't you didn't know any of this right like it doesn't have to be just because of this experience that I experienced it just happens to be that that was my experience and it led to these things but I realized that I in kind of like knowing that or feeling like anybody in authority knew better than me like I I wouldn't ever trust myself but also I would only find worth when someone else would compliment or tell me I was doing something good. Right. So it wasn't like, hey, that was really awesome. And I feel really good about this thing. Right. Like it was constantly like looking for approval, like every, at every turn okay, this one's a weird one. And I would love if like, if someone's listening to this and was like, oh my God, I do this too. Like, please reach out because we need to be friends. Um, I did not know why I was doing this, but it came up in casual conversation in therapy (laughs) of all places. I love therapy. Um, But when I stop at a red light, this is previously, okay. Like I will say I've I have stopped doing this now that I'm aware I've stopped doing this, but this is like more recently that I have realized these things. When I stop at a light, I roll down my windows and I blast my music. Why do I do this? Because I want someone to look over, acknowledge, and think that my music is good. I'm literally looking for approval. Every red light, every fucking red light I come to I'm making sure. Don't you think this is good? Don't you think this is awesome? Don't you think I'm cool that I'm listening to this music? I am outsourcing to a random stranger <laughs> next to me in their Tesla. Like, Hey, like you think I'm cool in my little Kona? Yeah. I'm <laughs> listening to this rap music. Do you like it? <laughs> like it is a thing. And I was like, Oh my God, I am outsourcing approval. Like I need outside approval to feel like I'm worthy. Like, so I'm seeking it in all of these ways. And ultimately, I mean, like truly, truly that is the driving force of why I had a disordered relationship with food in my body was because I was constantly using my body as like the freaking beacon in the night of like, someone will approve of me if Mm -hmm. I look this way Mm -hmm. or if I dress this way, or Mm -hmm. if I, right. It was a quick hit because Mm -hmm. you could get it everywhere or the way my hair was colored. I used to get compliments on my hair all the time. And it would be like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Like, it's like a a hit, but the problem with it is (laughs) because it feels good. And you want more of it, right? Like the more that people tell you that you look awesome, and like you've like you wow, you look really great, or like wow, like you're really intelligent, or any any of these things that like feed that thing inside of you, right? Like the more you outsource it, the more you need. It's never enough. It's like it's like chasing the dragon, right? Like you're trying to like get the next hit because when it's not there, then you don't feel worthy. Right. Yeah. So when you don't have that inherently within yourself that, Hey, like I am worthy as I am in this moment. Like I have this big, like Sherpa hoodie thing. I wore it to the store the other day. I was just like, mm, doesn't <laughs> matter. Cause I feel worth like I am. I am worthy in this huge, like fluffy thing. Like I'm worthy. I'm just worthy. Like I don't need to do a thing or to be a certain way or to act a certain way or present a certain way to get this approval because I already have it in myself. Right. But it's, it's a, such a slippery slope because especially as I was getting weight restored from being in a, like I went balls to the wall. Like I ended up going further into Disordered eating and really like it, it hit a really, really bad point mentally, um, just a few years ago. And I knew I needed, like, I had to change because I, I was worried that I, my body was going to shut down. Um, so when I started getting weight restored after that experience, all the compliments stopped and that was an extremely hard thing especially mentally already being in a vulnerable place and emotionally being in a vulnerable place um when those compliments stopped is really when i had to start working on my own worthiness because i was like oh if this is not here like mm-hmm. i feel really gross and really shitty like and i didn't realize how much I was feeding off of those things. And now I'm very conscious. Like I do not, <laughs> I actually think it was something I did with you when I first met you, I, you kind of, okay. So first of all, like you have a very beautiful radiance, like you are just radiant. Mm-hmm. And so when I met you for the first time, I was like, <gasps> wow, you're so beautiful. Like It was like this, like my brain, like it came out my mouth. And I think I apologized to you later. And I was like, I am so sorry. I've worked so hard to like, not compliment people's, like, like, like compliment them in that way, because it's not like, that's the least important thing about you. But it was just like this moment of like realizing, and I like spewed it out to you, but I I realized like how, Yes. It feels really good when you get someone complimenting you and I don't, I compliment people now, but for very different, different things. Reasons. Right. Right. Because people are beautiful. I think everyone is so beautiful. I don't know what's happened, but like, I'm like, people are beautiful. Like, do you ever just look at people and you're like, wow, like everyone is so uniquely beautiful. Like it flips me out a little bit, like where I see beauty in every single person I see. I'm like, dang, like, mm. Wow, like this is so cool. Like we're just all walking around beautiful right now. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, but I think, like, because it was such a um hard thing not having those things, I've really worked hard at, like not specifically speaking. About anybody's body. I think, like, we are in 2023. Like, we should not be speaking about anybody's body in a positive or negative way at all whatsoever, because I really think that it can feed, or really, like, especially when you're vulnerable, it can really be damaging when you're not hearing those things, when you're already working through all of the stories about being okay in a different body than you were in at your most distorted. Yeah. You know, you just don't know what
0: you're complimenting. Right. And like, and you don't know what could potentially, how that person could be negatively impacted by your comment later on. Right. So you had this experience where you were deep in your disordered eating and thinner as a result, you had a disordered body, but that body was routinely praised. Yes. Right. And you were using that praise as like an energy source. 1,000%. 1,000%. Right. Yeah, And you decided that you wanted, you needed to get better because if you kept going the way that you were going, your body was going to break down. You could have been in the hospital, yes. right? Yes. Things could have got worse. And so you started to recover and you started to enter into a recovered body, right? Yeah. But the compliments of your disordered body stopped coming and you needed to find a new energy
1: source. Yes. Which weirdly is awesome <laughs> like because really when we're outsourcing that, right? Like it just is never, it's just it never, never ends. ends. It I never that's ends. The thing is it just never ends. Like when you're
0: real, so reliant on people outside of you to get it, you're always, you always got to put energy into trying to find that shit outside of you. And it's exhausting. exhausting. So yes. it's hard, but totally worth it. To find that within yourself so that you're self-regenerative, like you can feed yourself and you're not constantly needing to seek it outside of yourself, yes. you know, and to kind of bookend the conversation of like I'm I'm with you, like I'm I'm pretty hesitant and like trepidatious to make comments on people's body and appearance because like I don't really know like how that comment could land for people presently or long-term. So like all those people who were making all these comments, like they probably were unaware of the fact that those comments were then going to cause you so much pain when you were recovering and your body was changing and you were going to have to really, I mean, granted, the positive side is that you then cultivated that worth from within and no longer needed it, but you know, and I know, and everybody listening knows that when those comments stop, our brain goes, well, what do they think of me
1: now? Yes. And I just want to add in there, (laughs) finding that worth within yourself comes with a million tears. It is not just like, oh, well now I'm just going to find worth within myself. Like that, that itself was like a three-year journey coming out of that. You know what I mean? Like Holy crap. That is like, it's the hardest and best work. And I still have moments where I will like feel that, right. Like, like question that or, or because, okay, our bodies change all the time. Like we are in a constant, like, I understand I'm 41 years old. I understand that this body is not going to look the same at 81 or 91 or even 51, right? Like everything is changing, whether that looks, whatever it looks like, right? But it's gonna be different. And I think that it's, it's a difficult thing when you are in change or flux in your body.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like your worthiness and those things, you need reminders. It's like, you need constant reminding of like, wait, wait, wait. Like, oh my gosh. Like all that my body does for me, all that it does, all that I've put it through and it still shows up for me. (laughs) Oh my God. Like seriously, it's baffling. Like, I'm just like, thank you, girl. Like you got it, man. Like, like we've been through a lot together. We've been through a lot together. And sometimes it is hard when things, you know, clothes fit different or, you know, a style doesn't necessarily like feel the same anymore to you in that way of how it felt before. And that can be challenging. And, and, and it's like, um, it's like the sediment of something like, I I, I like to call it like a healed perspective. I really feel like I have a healed perspective on body um, and, and food. However, sometimes there's times in our lives where we haven't met this version of ourselves yet. And so it's like when you get into a really still lake and you like step your foot down and all the sediment from the bottom, like kind of like comes up and it looks cloudy for a minute and then like settles back down. Right. Like, I think that that's kind of what happens in our healing of our body Mm -hmm. Um, that we have these like moments where we really have to talk ourselves through those things. And Really honor where we're at. I just recently went out and spent five hours trying to find a pair of jeans that made me feel really good in this body right now. And never underestimate the power of a good fitting jean. Do you know what I mean? Like, man, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel good to have something that fits your body. You're not forcing yourself into it. You're not like you put it on and you feel good. Like, it's so important to honor wherever you're at. And sometimes, especially like in fluctuation, I have, I am at like, I just, I had a hysterectomy 10 weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Like I have been going through hormonal craziness this last year and my body has gone in major fluctuations and feeling very out of control in that, like feeling like the choice I had was between pain or my body staying mm-hmm. the same. Right. And, and it's been a really interesting time because I will say I, my husband and I now, my now husband is an angel walking on earth and he is so good at holding all of it. And food and body for me has always been my, like, um, I want to, I'll go in and then I'll, I, once I fix this, once I figure it out, then I'll come to you and tell you what I've decided I'm doing or whatever. And I, I want to come out like with my aha, right? Like, like this is my aha moment. Like, and I, I figured it out. Like, but as Glennon Doyle, I was just listening to her podcast and, and she was talking about the messy middle, like letting him see the messy middle in this aspect of my life was very difficult. Hmm. Um, because it was something I tended to, as, as he put, he said, I think it's the one thing in our relationship. I feel a little eggshelly about, and I was like, I get that. I understand that Mm. because talking about it makes me instantly cry, like instantly. And I have had a healed perspective and worked through these things. But I think because, Ooh, that's interesting. Like coming back to this, like full circle is like he's the one I want to please most (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting thing of like that old those old stories right of like needing to to be a certain way to like be worthy and and I know that that's mine not his right like that is not how he feels about it but that's like there's something so vulnerable about showing yourself in the messy that like it creates like a very, our relationship has changed because of it. And it has changed. It has been hard, that one of the hardest seasons for me in body stuff mm-hmm. um, that I've come across since like feeling that, like really restoring and and being able to like view food as like, oh, I get to eat. Like I don't ever even think about food. I just eat food. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it's not even, I'm like, I can't even believe that I'm saying that right now, because if you had told me that like my brain space would be occupied by anything else other than what I'm eating and how many calories and like at what increment and all of that, like I would have, I'd been like, what that's possible. Like, that's a thing, like we can get out of that space. But I think truly, like, I don't think I would have come where I'm at in my journey if I hadn't had a healed perspective of that to make space to heal all the other things do you feel like that do you feel like Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. like yeah that your brain space like freed up after that like freed up so much so that you could address like other things I want to know tell me yeah
0: yeah 100% (laughs) yeah it just it monopolized so much realist mental real estate yeah um and healing, the food stuff and the diet mentality freed up so much spaciousness. I kind of, I relate to it as like, I just have peace of mind now because I don't have all of that mental gymnastics and mental chatter about what to eat and when to eat, how much to eat and what I shouldn't eat. And should I even eat? and Right. So yeah, deeply, deeply relate to that. And just for some clarity with your story of where you were just leaving off there, the season that you're in right now and having these health issues and needing a hysterectomy. I'm assuming that meant your body went through more changes yes. not only internally, but externally. And that was an incredibly difficult season for you. Yes. But had you not done the other work? Oh. That other work allowed you to move through this work, yes. but it doesn't mean that it still wasn't hard, which I think is what you were alluding to. Yes. Um, is that like, even though you can have, when you were talking about stepping your foot down in a lake and the sediment comes up, right? Like, and you can have that healed perspective, but that doesn't mean sediment doesn't come up. You're just more equipped at utilizing the healed perspective to talk yourself self through it yes. without it, you know, spiraling into a really, really dark, bad place. So I'm i I'm a thinking that's what you were alluding to, right? Yes, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, it's, it has this last year I had to be put on a, um, I had to be put on progesterone and straight artificial progesterone, um, causes it can cause insulin resistance, which I did not know. And no one told me, um, going into it, which is just so fun when no one explains anything to you, they're just like, here's this drug. Like you should take this hormone without like any other information. Um, but it was like wild to me. Yes. It was a lifeline though, because I was in so much severe pain. I, um, I'll touch on this a little bit just because I don't think it's talked about a lot, but a few years ago, my doctor had, I had been bleeding like very, like too regularly. I was like on my period every three weeks for a week straight. So like I would only have two weeks and then be back on. And I was just like, it was so much. And I was like, this is a lot, like, this is a lot to deal with. And I'm like, just like, I feel so fatigued all the time because I'm like losing all this blood. And so they offered an ablation, which is where you cauterize the lining of your uterus. So you're not bleeding all the time. And casually they mentioned like 25% of them. end in hysterectomies, you know, because they fail, but they didn't tell me what the failing meant or what it looked like or what I should be looking for, for those things. So I spent the last three-ish years in like chronic cyclical pain, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like debilitating, bent over, fetal position, hospital visits. I mean, I was at the ER like very regularly and no one could figure out what was going on like no one could figure it out they were like um you must have had a cyst burst you must have had this you must have had that but what was really happening is my my ablation had failed which meant that my uterus literally was stuck together but i was still bleeding so blood would collect at the top of my uterus and try to contract its way out of my uterus and it couldn't because it was stuck shut. So basically I was like in labor for a week straight without any relief. (laughs) Like, And I didn't know that that was going on. I thought it was bowel related. I had to have, you know, like all of these tests done, find out that it's not in my bowels because it just felt it's all, it all feels very much like in down there.
0: Yep. Uh,
1: cause it's all, it radiates everywhere. Like, I was like, why is my hip bone hurting? Like, it's like all of these different crazy things. Um, and so come to find out I had a failed ablation, which I had to figure out my own on my own by Googling, by the way. And then they confirmed it. Um, and they were like, wow, you figured it out. I was like, yeah, I don't even have a medical degree or anything. <laughs> like I just try to, we gotta be on our own. We're figuring it out. Um, so I ended up like they put me on progesterone because they were like, we'll put you on this medication and we'll help you not be in pain. So long and the short of it is it made me fluctuate in weight so rapidly that the clothes I was buying to then fit my body that had fluctuated by the time I would go to put them on again, would I was not fitting into them? Like it was wow. very rapid. And so like my brain couldn't catch up with what was happening in my body. And I felt like a very, it was the first time in a long time that I felt like I was kind of like out of my body. I was like, my body doesn't feel connected to me. Like when I look at myself, I don't see myself in this way. And it was like going back to times where I like, I almost couldn't like see what my body actually looked like anymore because it was like. Wait, what? What's happening? Wait, what's happening? Like I just was I just wore this skirt. Like what is what is going on? So that sediment has oh, it was murky. It was murky for a second. You know what I mean? It was like a mm. situation until I realized, like, mm. oh, this is this other thing that's helping me not be in pain is actually causing this other situation to happen. And it was like, I literally felt like those were my two options, like be in pain or have this thing happen and have your body shift in a way that feels different to you. Yeah. And so ended up in a hysterectomy that also has changed things. And it's just such an important thing to be an advocate for yourself, but also like, I won't, I mean, it's so easy to be like past it and be like, Wow. I learned so many lessons from that. Like, like your girl was crying in the closet, like every morning, like, let's be real. Like it was because I would go to try on a thing that I thought would fit my body. And then it wouldn't, it wouldn't. And then I would like, okay, I need to honor where I'm at right now. Let's move these things out and we'll move the new things in. And then that was happening again, like within a month, like so rapid, so fast. My, I, it was very, unnerving to yeah. have that happening because you just feel out of like out of, out of sorts control. like of like control. how do you, yeah like you're just like I'd I don't even have anything that I can put on my body that like I just keep trying to buy things to honor it and then feeling like I don't have anything that makes me feel good at all Um, but that this space this space of coming out of it looking at it and realizing like I don't think I ever would have opened up to my husband so honestly and so, um, just raw, straight up raw goo phase, like Caterpillar in the Chrysalis situation. Like I'm goo. I'm a, I'm goo. Like Mm. this is, this is not, there's no butterfly in the picture yet. Like, this is just, I'm a mess. Like, I feel like a mess. And it was just such a beautiful space to be held in mm. and to have someone honor you and like love you through that right. Peace. Right. It's, it just was like, it was a gift. It was a gift. And I, you know, it's, it's just an interesting, <laughs> we were talking before about how like you had posted something about like the romanticized version (laughs) oh my gosh I just relate to this so much and like why don't you explain that a little bit because I just I thought that was it just resonated with it so much
0: yeah and then you can kind of share yeah like the whole reason why we ended up getting on this podcast together deciding to come and chat um because I didn't actually this is just a tangent, but I didn't actually fully know how much body stuff you had. Like, it wasn't something we like really talked about in breath work or your Instagram isn't about it. So I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I ended up posting, um, I was listening to another podcast actually with Africa Brook, and not sure if you guys know who, who she is. Um, but she was talking about how she used to romanticize the version of herself when she was drunk. So she's now sober, but she was an alcoholic. She started drinking at 14. Um, and when she was drunk, she seemed to be more confident and she was just outgoing and flirty and friendly and had this party girl image. And she felt like drinking allowed her to not worry about her insecurities or to walk into a room and not worry about them. And, um, she would romanticize that version of herself. And she didn't say this, but I kind of like was inferring it from her story, Um, that it like kept her in the addiction longer because she was like, but this version of me when I'm drunk, like, I'm so amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we can kind of look back when we're in a healed perspective and look back and kind of romanticize that version and reminisce about it. And almost like, maybe we should go back there. Like, maybe I should drink again, um without really reminding ourselves of just like how dark and how bad it was and um as she was telling her story I just kept thinking about how we do that with our disordered eating so we romanticize we're like oh Like I was so thin back then and I was so happy and I really was more confident and like everything really (laughs) was better. And it's like, we remember these little, we romanticize it. We remember the parts that were good because I'm not denying there are, getting those compliments that you got, Rachel, right, felt (laughs) good. Um, We romanticize it, but we need to be honest with ourselves. Of Like there's a reason why we're here right now doing this work, trying to heal. And it's because that, those things that we were doing led us to a dark place. Yes. So that was the post that like ended up sparking our conversation. Yes. So like, why don't you talk about like your, cause like what you've just went through and what you just shared about your, your body changing in this and having a hysterectomy. And um, I don't remember all of the terminology that you use, but it just sound really traumatizing and really traumatic and like very un- destabilizing to have all of this shit happening and to be in pain that sounds horrible, and I'm. It sounds like you're on a, the other side a, a a
1: a little more. Yes, yes, um, I will say that. Yes, okay. I feel I feel like things are kind of like coasting right now. Like we're 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 in a better space now. Yes, yes, yes. yeah. Um. So you were romanticizing.
0: So why don't you tell how what you were romanticizing and.
1: Yeah. Yes. Okay. So okay, I have this picture actually of me that I did not realize was still in my phone. I was taking, um, I don't, I actually deleted, like I had a whole, like, <laughs> as probably every single one of the people listening to this podcast does, but you had like that file in your phone of the progress pictures that you've taken over this time. So I ended up deleting that like long ago, maybe like a year ago, I deleted it. Cause I was like, this bullshit is crazy. And this like, makes me not feel good. So I deleted it, but I had hidden a picture that I, I didn't remember hiding. And I was taking pictures of my surgery because I have a friend who is going to be going through a hysterectomy as well. And I really was trying to keep her abreast of like, okay, look at like, these aren't even that bad. Like, look at these, like they're tiny little cuts. You know what I mean? I'm like trying to like, you're get we're going to be okay. Like we're going to get through this, like just, but taking these pictures of like, okay, this is what this is at week one, week two, week three, week four, right? Like swelling and, and discomfort and, and just giving her updates on how I was feeling and all this stuff. But I had it in my hidden folder. I like put them in my hidden folder. So I go into my hidden folder and then I like scroll up and I see this picture of myself. And I was like, Oh, And it wasn't even the body that actually struck me the most. It was my face Mm. because I looked at my face and I looked fucking miserable, (laughs) like so miserable. And I was, but in all the other pictures where I'm posing and I'm looking happy and it's cute, like, look at this cute outfit I'm wearing. Like it's, it's a whole different perspective. Right. But the actual version, the the reason that post hit so hard was because after I had been more weight restored and feeling much more normal in my body and kind of feeling like it was stabilizing and it'd been around, you know, stabilized for a while. I went to Hawaii and I was in this season of my life romanticizing like, oh man, I like what I would do to just like be back in that body, like be back in that body where I was, and I was tan and I was feeling cute and I was having such a good time with my husband and I was doing all these things. And then of course, like your phone does, it like brings up a picture of like when, you know when you were at said place because you randomly thought it and all of a sudden it's on your phone. Um, I see this picture from Hawaii, and my husband had taken it because there was this gorgeous rainbow, and I was like, wait, 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 let me get under the rainbow and I'm going to like open my mouth. So I have like this open mouth, like rainbows coming in. And I remember he took that picture and I like, I was like, Oh no. Oh no, no, no. Like, like he's like, what? And I'm like, Oh, absolutely not. Like I, Oh my God. I just, I, I, I do not like the way I look in this picture. And it was like, I was in my closet being like, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be so nice if I could fit into those bathing suits again, (laughs) right? Like this whole thing. And then this picture pops up and I was like, oh, Rachel, oh, Rachel, you think you were happy then because you're not in that space right now, but like, has it ever been good enough? Like it's never good enough. Like even that picture of me at my most distorted where my face looks miserable like that was never enough. Like we romanticize these like versions because we think like, oh, if we only thought how we were now and like, we're just in this body, right? Like everything would be fine. And we'd be so great. And everyone could take pictures of us and we wouldn't ever worry about the angles they were taking it from or like any of those things. And I was like, holy shit, I am doing that with myself. Like I'm viewing this version of me a year ago as like the ultimate she was like like call me Beyonce walking down like that little beach you know what I mean like I was feeling myself right but in actuality like there was moments like yeah there was moments where like it was great but like there are moments where I had a full blown meltdown about that picture and how my arms looked yeah yeah and so I just felt like that was such a beautiful understanding to come across and be like oh wow like yes mm-hmm. yes like next time you think of that like actually remember all of the other things that were like at play you know like all like you think it was just what your body looked like but it was so much more so There were so more. many other things yeah yeah
0: yeah like it's easy to when you're when you're not feeling good about yourself and then you look at a picture of yourself when you're thinner you think about when you were thinner and you're like if i just looked that way right now then i wouldn't feel the way that i'm feeling yes right so it's kind of like a way that we armor ourselves mm-hmm. from the pain that we're feeling now by like this illusion of thinness to, is going to save us and it's important to remind yourself that like whatever you were doing to be that small probably made you fucking miserable, right? Yes. Like the restriction and the overexercising and Absolutely. getting out on social events and yes. all the other things, right? Um, and I don't know why I lost my train of thought. I think we're getting <laughs> our point across here. It's yes. just like really easy to think that everything was fine and dandy, yes. but you have to really remind yourself of how miserable you were in those oh, moments damn. of- Trying
1: really, really hard to be thin and stay thin and oh yeah. So much, so much. Like crying in the bathroom because your husband bought you pizza. (laughs) Like that for sure happened. That that was my come to Jesus when I was at my like worst mentally was my husband after I hadn't eaten all day and I told him I hadn't eaten all day specifically bought me my favorite gluten-free pizza so that when I got home, I could eat. And I ran into the bathroom and I slammed the door and I started crying. And I was like, he's sabotaging me. Whoa. And I was like, I looked at myself dead in the eye in the mirror. And I was like, you're fucking done. Like, this is it. Like your husband just went out of his way to get you the thing that was going to give your body nutrients that it needed at the end of the day when you haven't had any food thought about you, bought the thing you like that you need for you. And you're going to turn this on him that he is doing something to you. I was like, no, we're that done. Was moment. That was my, that was like, you're going to eat the fucking pizza, Rachel. Like you're going to eat the fucking pizza. And then I ate pizza for like three months straight, mm-hmm. pretty much. So you did the yeah. fucking diet. It sounds like you I referenced did. that earlier. I did. Yeah. I was like, Whew, All right. That was the thing. I mean, it was helpful. I is there other ways? Yes, there is definitely other ways. <laughs> but but yeah, that was my I was like, okay, we're gonna do this. But yeah, started me on that. Um, so this has been awesome. Yes. But for those, you know, listening, um, yeah. where can they find you? So I'm at Rachel Hill's Heart. It's R A C H E L H I L L S Heart. Um at on Instagram, that's pretty much where you can find me. Um, I last year launched a program called the best mama method, which is funny because it literally has nothing to do with parenting. Um, it's, it's really about, I kind of condense my healing journey into like the biggest, the things that changed my life the most that that like moved the needle the quickest for me in my healing. Um, And I have modules, like eight different modules based on like the lessons I've learned and the things that I think are really important. Um, As you come into a space of like, for me, being a mom, like I can tell a really big difference between how I parented before and how I parented after I started going through and healing some of the stuff that we've just talked about. Right. Um, because I now see that parenting is really like reparenting yourself through your children. And so I have a lot more compassion, but also a lot more like understanding of like just different aspects and asking different questions. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so important for us, not just as moms, but as partners, as, as humans, as daughters, as friends, as whatever, like to do what we can to heal the things that we need to work through so that we don't put them on other people. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's what I was doing with my kids, right? Like when they wouldn't like something I I made, right? Like I would take it personally instead of being like, wow, they're a human that has different feelings, like- <laughs> It's okay. Like I don't take it in that way. And I realize like how much different I approach every relationship of my life now that I have a more healed perspective in these different ways. Right. So, um, it's a three month, like super high touch program. Um, we meet each week and I believe crossing fingers that it's going to be like ready to rock and roll this February. So it take us February, March, April. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a deep dive. It's like not a surface level situation. It's like for people who have like, I've read a lot of self-help books and I still feel like I'm like having like these things come up, you know, it's, it's more of like that space of like, okay, you need someone like, I love, love, love. My favorite thing to do is like to lead women to their own healing. And so with breath work, which is like, oh my gosh, it's just my favorite, but breathwork is the backbone. So it's like these modules. And then we meet each week. We have, there's a breathwork associated with each module that you kind of like can help you facilitate connection with yourself and finding safety and trust within yourself and all the good things dealing with anxiety and victim mentality and shadow work. It's, it's like, it's deep. We go deep. So, Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of like, I also hold some different groups and and different things and do some one-off classes of, breathwork and I actually do some live events. I'm going to Costa Rica to facilitate breathwork um, in April, late April for um, Kelly Mason's retreat out there. So um, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place right now, but just on the gram, you'll see me. I am like a touch and go in there. I'm not like a super presence just because that feels better to my system to just be there when I want to be there. So, um, but yeah, I, I love people. I love to connect with people on there and, and um, like, if anyone has questions or um, on or on any of the subjects we talked about, like I just love deep diving with people and sending them videos or um, messaging them to just, I think, and if, I'm I'm just going to speak for myself in this but I I would assume that maybe you feel this too is like when you have experienced like the depths of of hard um like when you are out of that and you get to look at your life and just like live a beautiful full life Like you want others to feel that way too. And you want others to really like thrive in their own life. Like the best thing that anyone could ever say to me is like, I gained this knowledge from you or integrated these things, right? You taught me these things. And now I'm on my own doing these things and living my freaking best life, you know, like Because I think sometimes we just need someone to come along beside us. You know, we can, we can lone wolf it sometimes. Like there are times and seasons where I have, and I have found so much, like it's, it's hit a different way and really so much growth when I do it with somebody else. Mm -hmm. So when I have that person alongside of me, who's really like the biggest cheerleader and like you can do this like we got this the super normal like normalizing the things that we're going through it just it feels so much better for at least for my system to have someone alongside me and do that so i love to do that for other people um and to because really like we are our own healers i really believe that so it's not really like i have a secret potion medicine bottle that i'm just going to give you once you join my program but it's like no i'm just here to witness you discover the things that are inside of you like totally. already yeah. Totally.
0: yeah. yeah i agree, i agree with that massively yeah yeah like you just have somebody help guide you to yourself that's it <laughs> yeah
1: just back so to it. yourself yeah. yeah yeah this has so. been so awesome rachel i love getting so to much. chat with you yes this is such a good time i love it i love it thank you so much thank you
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. If you'd love to support the show and give back, please rate, review, subscribe, share on social media, or share with a friend. That's the best way to keep the podcast going. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a really awesome rest of your day.